it's not about you. <laughs> There's an encouraging start to the message, eh? I wonder how those words uh, land on you. They are not generally understood to be words intended to bring great life and joy and peace to someone. So here we are again, strangely, on YouTube. And I've been looking into some research about how to do these live broadcasts and, and YouTube videos and all the advice uh, saying, you know, you have to structure and aim your content so that it meets the needs of the individual who's watching it. That's what it's all about. And here I am saying, it's not about you. <laughs> Great. Um, maybe when you hear those words, you perhaps think of some really difficult times, difficult conversations you've had where someone said those words to you or, or you've had to say those words to someone else. Uh, to be honest with you, um, I've had to hear those words a few times in some really difficult moments and conversations because my self-righteousness and my, my selfishness has inclined me towards a certain reaction or a certain self-justification or defending myself or something like that. And someone has, has had to remind me, but Martin, it's not about you. I think we all need to hear that from time to time. I think this culture in which we live has all sorts of opportunities for, for self-absorption, but, but even without the cultural piece, just our own hearts sometimes can incline this way. One of the best illustrations I ever heard of that is um, if someone has uh, a group photo and you're in the photo and you know you are and they're about to show you the photo and they turn it around and, and show you this photo, who do you go looking for first? Well, I hope I'm not alone. Like, don't jump on the live chat if this is just me. But like for me, I'm like, where am I in this photo? I want to see, do I look okay <laughs> in this photo? We, we all need to hear, it's not about you sometimes. You're not the only person in the group photo. No, your checkout queue does not always go slowest. No, the computer uh, does not always break for you after working fine for everyone else. Lindsay, <laughs> I'm going to pay for that. I'm, I'm going to be sitting next to her as she hears that. I did think about also adding in, no, there's nothing objectively better about a toilet seat down than up. <laughs> but yeah, I thought that would be pushing it. It's not about you. It's not about me. Now, when we consider what the Bible has to say about this, that thought, it's not about you, as we typically understand it, our, our, our normal understanding is very incomplete and quite unhelpful, actually. Normally, that phrase, that's the full stop or the exclamation mark, underlined, bold, all caps. It's like, get over yourself. That's the way in which it's normally said. It's intended to shut down, to be the last word. But in the Bible, it's not about you. It's not the last word. It's not even a negative. It is a door which opens up for us amazing treasures. Think about the decisions you make and how you make them. How do you decide what's right for you, for, for your friends, your, your family? What, what is your motivation and your means for avoiding that which is, is dangerous? Where do you look for for help to get through life's difficult times? Don't just look within to yourself. For those ready to hear and respond to God's heart of love, there is amazing hope and life and understanding. It's not about me. We see this in Psalm 16. It's just drenched in this reality, full of awesome promise that as we embrace this truth, it's not about us, that wonderful blessing awaits us. 
So Psalm 16.2 has been a very important verse for me over my whole life. Since my, my teens, I'd memorized it through the NIV where it says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. It's not about me. I've needed to remind myself of that again and again. But now I actually prefer the way that ESV has translated it. It's the same truth, but it just lands in a slightly different way. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you, apart from you. Focusing it this way highlights not the the no good thing, but it focuses on the good that we have in God. And this is very aligned with the tone of the rest of the psalm because the whole psalm is about the sufficiency and the blessing of God over every aspect of our lives. So, so verse one, track down these verses with me. We're not going to dwell on these, but just, just note this. Verse one, it's about the refuge of God, which holds us secure. Verse two is about the goodness we know when we make God the Lord, master of our lives. Verses five and six are about the blessing and the freedom that we have in God, passed on to us by him, secured for us in him. Verse 7 is about the wisdom and counsel we receive from God. It's not about us. And then we're going we're gonna to camp out a bit more in verses 8 to 11. What treasure there is here in these incredible verses. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. It's not about me. And then here's kind of part promise, part sort of gritty declaration of intent or, or even declaration of fact. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. You can know that this week, dear friend. No trouble that would come against you will ever have victory over you. How? Not because I have it all figured out or you do. Not because our life plan is working out the way we expect it to. Not because we have all that this world tells us we need to have a good week. But because God is at our our right hand. Because God is at her right hand, our right hand, I shall not be shaken. The right hand is that place of authority and strength, that place of protection. And you have in this psalm this paradoxical imagery to highlight the wonder and mystery of life with God. He is always before us, it says there at the start of verse 8. That's good news. God is, is leading us on. And as God does that, as God leads us on, he's also he's before us and he's also at our right hand. He is protecting us, keeping us safe and secure. As we, as we sang last week, he's fighting our battles. You can be safe and secure. You, can, you will not be shaken. It's not about you, but in him, you're safe. Let's keep going. Verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. And then listen to this next amazing promise. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Do you see the blessing? Do you hear the blessing of it's not about you? Our hope is found in God. He will not abandon your soul to Sheol. Sheol is this place of destruction and death. 
place of spiritual darkness and uh, being, being cut off from the presence of God. And the promise here is that for those who belong to God, they can find their security in the fact that God will not give up on them. God will not abandon you. God will not cast you into hell. It's a promise. Now, how? How does this come about? Well, again, it's not because of what we do, ultimately. But it's because of what Jesus has done. In Acts chapter 2, in the New Testament, Peter actually quotes this verse in the first ever church sermon that was preached. And he makes the point that this is only finally fulfilled through Jesus. Jesus did face Sheol. He faced death and darkness. He is the the Holy One that verse 10 speaks of, who who did for a time see corruption. That word means decay, death, um, being sent to the the place of, of the grave. Jesus did face that, but the good news of the scriptures is that the grave could not hold Jesus down. And now, through Jesus, this promise is extended to any of us who would be found in Jesus, that he will not abandon our souls to the place of death and darkness. If you feel that closing in around you this week, God will not abandon you to that place. He will not. It's not about you. It's about him. And that changes everything changes everything for us. Look in verse 9 and 10 at the connection between body and soul. My flesh also dwells secure. How? For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. So because our souls are safe in God, our bodies rest secure. God cares about more than just your soul. He did not make us to be divided up. He cares about all of us. He cares about how we use our bodies. So the question is, well, how do we get this right? How do we use our bodies correctly? How do we do the right thing with our bodies? And you know what that means for you versus doing the the wrong thing with our bodies. You know the ways that you might be tempted to use your mind, your your words, your thoughts, your, your bodies in general to do the wrong thing. How do we pursue purity and and well-being and wholeness? And how do we avoid sin that would leave us full of regret and shame? And it's the same answer. It's not about you. How often we are inclined to fight these fights on our own, but it's not about you. Our flesh, verse 9 says, that our flesh, our bodies will dwell secure the NLT says they will rest in safety. That is, they'll, they'll operate from that place of wholeness and well-being. As we fully and understand the fact, as verse 10 says, that God will not abandon our souls to the grave. That's how we live right with our bodies. When we understand who God has made us in him and how we stand before him. I saw a brilliant video this week of a clip from a sermon by a pastor called Josh Howerton from Lake Point Church in Dallas. And uh, it just so powerfully highlights this connection that we need to make between a true embrace of how God will never abandon our souls to the darkness and how that leads to our bodies, our lives, 
our flesh dwelling safely and securely, living rightly before him. Here's this connection just now. I have permission to show this video. Spirit will point a finger at our sin and he will say, Josh, that is unacceptable. The devil will point a finger at us and say, Josh, you are unacceptable. That's the difference. Um, what the spirit will do is he'll come into my life and he'll say, Josh, look at what you did. Josh, that's not who you are. You are a child of the living God. The Satan will come into our life and when you mess up, he'll say, Josh, that's who you are. You'll always be a, you're nothing but a, see the spirit wants to produce hatred of sin. The devil wants to produce hatred of self. How do we pursue freedom from sin? How do we allow our, our flesh to dwell securely, to live rightly, to live at peace, to live the way God meant us to remember it's not about us. Remember what God has done, what God has done. Remember who you are in him, that in Jesus, he has beaten sin. He's beaten wrongdoing. He's beaten death. In Jesus, he will never abandon your soul to hell. You're safe in him. So the call of the Christian faith, the ethic of, of Christian life is live in that reality. Rest in that reality. Allow your day-to-day -day behavior to be shaped by the true reality of who you are before God. Allow your body and all it does to rest securely in the freedom that you have as a child of God. Allow your actions to be shaped by the reality of whose you are. Don't fight yourself, but be who God has made you to be, who God has done, who God has made you to be. God's done that. It's not about you. And then finally, let God redefine true life and joy and pleasure. Look at the final verse, the more promises from God. Verse 11, you make known to me. This is what you do, God. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You might read that and think, it's not about me. It sounds like it is. I get fullness of joy. I get pleasure forevermore. The question is, how? Where do we find these things? In God. You make known to me, God, the path of life. At your, uh, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand, in that place, there are pleasures forevermore. This transcends all our circumstances now and even into eternity. A few years ago, someone called Matt Smithhurst shared a quote from Joni Erickson Tada, which really stuck with me. When Joni was 17, she broke her neck in a diving accident. So for over 50 years, she's been paralyzed from the shoulders down. And, and, and Matt Smithhurst shared this quote three years ago. Joni Erickson Tada comments, the first thing I plan to do on resurrected legs is to drop on grateful glorified knees. I love it. I love it. We might think heaven, a new body, 
No more pain. No more suffering. I don't need to worry about that anymore. I can do this. I can do that. I can enjoy this. I can enjoy that. But Joni Erickson Tada, though without the ability to walk almost all her life, she says, no, no, I know what the important thing is here. The first thing I am going to do is drop, get low and drop to my grateful, glorified knees. Why? Because it's not ultimately about me. It's about him. And any joy I find this week or in heaven with a new body is only fully complete as I find that joy ultimately in God. That's where I find fullness of joy in him, in his presence. So dear friends, it's not about us. But don't let the accuser say that in a, in a way that would crush you this week. It's not about you. It's not about you. Get over yourself. You blew it again. It's not about you. In the Christian life, this is not something to grieve and lament. It's a door to beautiful treasure. It's not about us. In him, in God, we need not be shaken. One day we absolutely will not ever be shaken ever again. In him, we will not be abandoned to the grave. In him, we find freedom to live in wholeness, to live as he meant us to live. And in him, we find true, perfect joy and pleasure. What truth to hold on to? What perspective we need to ask for the Holy Spirit to give us? It's not about us. It's about him. May we know that. May we rejoice in that more and more as a community of faith this week and indeed forevermore. It's all about him.